Good morning. It's good to be with you here this morning. We'll continue on our study as we heard in Daniel chapter 5. Please turn in your Bibles there. We'll open up in a word of prayer to get ourselves started here this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time together that you've given to us. We pray that your word would shine forth. Uh, We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us from your word and help us to remember the things that we hear today and to put them into practice. Uh, We pray that we'd be bold as Daniel, and we pray that we would uh, do that through your power. And we just pray this all in your Son's name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So starting off in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, our first verse reads, Belteshazzar, the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. So setting, setting the scene here, we have Babylon, who is the chief superpower of the time, and we have the king Belshazzar, who is the king and lord over all Babylon. Uh, so we see him here hosting a tremendous feast. I don't know about your Thanksgiving. I don't know that I've ever been on a feast with a thousand plus people at it. Uh, but we see here there are men of noble rank here. Uh, we would also see kings, princes uh, here as well. Uh, also included would be uh, his wives and his concubines as well. Uh, people who were socially had wealth and power, but over a thousand people here at the king's feast. Uh, Definitely there was food to be sure, but the first thing of note was that there was wine at this great feast. And the king started off by tasting the wine and then commanding uh, that it be brought out uh, to them all. Uh, Perhaps the king started off with a toast. Uh, But definitely a royal occasion. Those who are the who's who, I guess you could say, of Babylon at the time. Um, Consider for a moment we have 535 members of Congress, the House, and Senate. Uh, But here we had over a 1,000 people here. So a huge feast indeed. Moving on to verse 2 and 3, it says, While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lord and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. Uh, So we see the king approving of the wine uh, that is being served and commanding that everyone enjoy the feast. Again, nobles, wives, concubines, more than 100 people present. Uh, But we read that these are special vessels. Uh, Perhaps, depending on your translation, you might have cups, or goblets, uh, but these were made of gold and silver, and they were taken from the temple in Jerusalem. <clears throat> uh, but starting off in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, uh, we see uh, how Jerusalem was taken over. It was besieged. It was surrounded. <clears throat> uh, we also see descriptions of things going on in Second Kings 24 and 25. Uh, Jews were taken away, and they were now living under Babylonian rule. Uh, So we know that the temple was destroyed, and we see more details about that in Nehemiah. Uh, That would come at a later time. Uh, 
uh, future time. Uh, but we would eventually see the sad state of the temple and what came to it after it was destroyed. Uh, but Nebuchadnezzar brought back holy vessels back from Jerusalem. Uh, and he actually brought it into the treasure house of his God, we read in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. Um, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, we see him spoken of in the first verse of every chapter that we read in Daniel, at least so far, um, talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, but now we have Belshazzar, who's the current king of Babylon. <clears throat> so in your Bibles, you see it says he's Nebuchadnezzar's son. Um, but perhaps you have a footnote that might say ancestor or descendant. Uh, so perhaps you might have heard somebody say, well, the Bible can't be trusted uh, because he's talking about his son, and he definitely uh, wasn't his son. Uh, but we do know, at least from history, that Nebuchadnezzar was the father of Belshazzar and uh, a descendant. Perhaps we could say grandchild or great-grandchild um, I do not speak Aramaic or Hebrew. However, I heard that there is no such word for grandfather in Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, but we don't seem to have issue when we read uh, Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, uh, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We just know he's a descendant. Uh, so keep that in mind. <clears throat> but it made me wonder why would God allow the temple to be destroyed? Why would he allow his vessels to be taken away? Um, what we see in Ezra chapter 5, verse 12, uh, it says, Because our fathers provoked God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldeans who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah also talks about this as well. Uh, so consider for a moment as a Jewish person seeing these vessels being used, how offensive uh, would this have been? A pagan king... And all his lords, his wives, and concubines drinking wine from these holy vessels that should have been used in the temple. Uh, definitely we see lots of contradictions, so to speak, here. We have Jerusalem spoken of as a city of peace, um, but definitely conquered by war. Uh, the temple was supposed to be the house of God, but now abandoned uh, by God. The temple was only for Jews, but now overrun with Gentiles and destroyed. And vessels that were supposed to be for God's temple service uh, were now serving the king's drinking party. So many things were not as they should be here, uh, but we know that the Lord allowed it. Uh, reading Daniel 5.2 in the Amplified Version says, Out of the sacred area, the holy place, and the holy of holies. So uh, unholy Gentiles handling holy things meant to serve God. This definitely should have been an abomination or offensive to the Jews, to be sure. Uh, but uh, I consider this to be a symbol of the Jewish state. They were defeated. They were defiled. They were divided. They were departed. Uh, they were depressed, and perhaps some would say destroyed at this point. Um, but we know the Lord keeps a remnant uh, for his own. But moving on to verse 4 here, it says, They drank wine and praised the God of gold, and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Uh, so not only were they using God's holy vessels, uh, but they were praising idols. They were praising gods, and these gods were bronze and iron, uh, gods of wood and stone. So uh, we're not even mentioned by name, um, but they just say uh, different elements, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Um, 
But these vessels should have been used in the Holy of Holies and in the temple. Uh, but instead, now they're being used to praise rocks of all things. Um, we know that the Babylonian people were very religious. Uh, Babylon means gate of the gods, from what I read in a commentary. Um, but the city was given over to worship of various gods with multiple temples, um, and various gods were being praised. So, again, how offensive would it have been for Jews to be uh, in the city of Babylon? Uh, and how offensive if you were one of the servants uh, handing out the wine at the feast. Uh, but moving on to verse 5, it says, In that same hour the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Uh, so not even an hour later this happened. Uh, the finger of a man's hand appeared. Uh, so fi- these fingers wrote a message in the plaster. I kind of think of it sort of like stucco, just something that's put on the wall, and it can be written in. Uh, but the hand appeared opposite the lampstand, so it makes me consider that all could see this message. It was illuminated for all uh, to see. Uh, but the king saw the hand actually writing on the wall uh, with no body attached. Uh, so imagine the change of scene that took place, that they're celebrating a thousand people together, all drinking wine together, <laughs> celebrating perhaps as a family and the who's who, all of a sudden to see a disembodied hand writing on the wall. And moving on to verse 6, it says, Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. Uh, So the king's reaction is pretty clear. He's terrified. Um, I don't know what I would think if I saw a disembodied hand writing anything, or let alone um, doing anything. Um, Perhaps people would say he saw a ghost, or it's something supernatural, something that they've never seen before. Um, But definitely had to be a change in the party atmosphere, to be sure. It makes me wonder if everybody went dead quiet. Uh, But in the next moment, something was being written on the wall. Uh, So it says his countenance changed. Um, Imagine someone of kingly kingly splendor. We used to... uh, We usually see our politicians standing up and being eloquent, at least we usually hope they're eloquent, uh, but standing up before people, and then the king is terrified with his knees knocking uh, together and his colors even changing. Uh, So what would you be thinking at this moment? I mean, definitely these fingers would have your full attention, to be sure. Um, I would have many uh, questions like, who or what is this? Uh, so why is the hand come to write this message? And what does this message even mean? Uh, perhaps I've offended the gods. Uh, but we know the king was very disturbed and his joints and his hips uh, were loosened. Um, I'm of the personal opinion that he probably couldn't walk or stand under his own power. I know for me personally, I have a fear of heights. It's not overwhelming, overwhelming. But one time I visited my sister and we went to Switzerland, and there is a house that was chained to the top of a mountain because the last few times the house had blown away, so they had to use chains to mount this house on top uh, of this mountain. So it's called the Top of the World uh, in Switzerland. Uh, but I was walking out on this ledge that was a grate, and I was terrified. Like, I wouldn't let go of the handrail. 
Like, I always had one hand on top of another, but I was on the verge of fainting. But I'm like, all right, I just have to keep going. So I go back to that and think. But how much more terrifying if I saw a disembodied hand writing a message on the wall before me. Um, But he was fearful and terrified. Um, Perhaps if there's medical practitioners, they could tell you exactly what a vagal attack is. I read it has something to do with an elevated heart rate. Uh, can lead to convulsions and fainting, low pr- blood pressure. Uh, but Lord knows to be sure uh, he was terrified. Uh, but moving on to verse 7 here. The king cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and the king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads the writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Uh, so we hear the king crying out, as before we read in Daniel chapter 2 and uh, chapter 4 as well. Um, so no secretive message that was obvious to all. Um, so here we have some, quote, wise men of Babylon, and we see four different types of wisdom usually called on uh, between Daniel chapter 2. Uh, but this is the third time we hear about uh, these groups being called together, but we have Astrologers or enchanters, uh, those who would look to the stars for signs to determine fates. Uh, perhaps sorcerers, those who practice uh, witchcraft or necromancers, perhaps we would call them, those who reach out to the dead uh, for divine wisdom or insight mediums, perhaps we could also say. Uh, but the Chaldeans were supposedly magi who had secret wisdom, and soothsayers were tellers of fates and destinies. Uh, but how valuable would it be to know exactly what this message uh, had to say? Uh, definitely there would be huge rewards. You'd be clothed in purple. Uh, you would receive a gold chain. And the biggest thing of all, you would be made the number three ruler in all the land. So I would consider the king was number one. Uh, I don't know if the king's father was still alive, or perhaps his son would be number two. And then being number three, so not overthrowing the throne, so to speak. That's still in the family. But we see something similar in Genesis chapter 41 with Joseph. Uh, As he was put in charge of all the land of Egypt, he was only subject uh, to the throne under Pharaoh. Uh, But notice the thousand people who are here, part of the family, the nobles, they weren't called on to understand what this message was, uh, but these wise men Uh, But there's two parts to the king's demand. In order to get this reward, you must read the message, number one, and number two, you must interpret the message. Um, So I consider for a moment, could the king read it all? I think he probably could. I've definitely read different Bible passages where at least uh, a Hebrew king could read. Um, But did anyone know even what language this was, and what did this all mean? Uh, Moving on to verse 8 here. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Um, So the wise men definitely proved they weren't wise, at least in this regard. Uh, They couldn't even read it. It was just unknown symbols, it seems, to them. Uh, So how could they even begin to understand what the message uh, meant? So uh, not the thousand nobles, not any of the wise men, uh, not the king, None of the king's resources, none of his power, none of his wisdom could help at all in this situation. Um, 
It's interesting to me, thinking about this passage, we don't see any appeals to God. They were praising uh, the gods of stone and wood and iron and bronze before, but we never read about the king uh, approaching God in some fashion or or calling out. But no one could help. Uh, No one could read the message, let alone make a meaning known. Uh, But moving on to verse 9, Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. So uh, his color changed even more than before, uh, even more stressed not knowing uh, what this message uh, was. Uh, but we definitely see everyone in wonder and amazement. I definitely had to shake up the entire room to see everything that was going on and not have anyone in the most powerful nation in the world at the time be able to translate or interpret. So all schools of thought, whatever school of thought you were from, no one could help. No one had discernment. But then we move on to verse 10, where it says, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall, And the queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. Uh, So the word uh, goes out to the queen. Uh, Sounds like she wasn't at the banquet hall, at least at this time. Uh, I don't know if she was not invited or part of this invited group, uh, since there was other family there with seen nobles. Uh, Perhaps uh, some of you have a footnote in your Bibles here uh, that... The mother is referring to the queen mother, excuse me, the queen as the queen mother. Um, I wouldn't say this dogmatically, but perhaps it's King Nebuchadnezzar's wife. I wouldn't say that uh, for sure, or possibly Belshazzar's mother. Um, But we know she wasn't present, at least from the description of this verse, uh, even though the king's wives were uh, already there. But the queen shows up to the banquet hall, Uh, It's clear that she can see the distress on the king and all that's in the room with him, and she says, don't be troubled. Um, I can't help but think this is kind of strange. It it makes me think for a moment I shift into, all right, I'm watching some sort of musical here, and somebody gives like some pithy advice, and then they break into song, and then all of a sudden everything's fine after the song. Uh, Makes me think, all right, things are going to clear up, just put on a happy face, and somehow that's going to make everything Okay, but uh, I know that I wouldn't respond to that kind of message, but uh, she has more wisdom uh, to come. She goes on in verse 11 and 12 and says, There's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy, excuse me, is the spirit of the holy God, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Uh, But the queen remembers someone who could help. Uh, There is a man in your kingdom. He's close at hand. He's not here with you. He's not one of your nobles. Uh, But in him is the spirit of the holy God. And by God's grace, uh, thinking about going through this chapter, we have the spirit of God in us as well. 
Sometimes when I read Old Testament stories and I think to myself of different Bible stories, well, well, that was a long time ago, but this is the same Lord that we have living inside of us. Uh, but the Queen speaks uh, with a big G for God, uh, not a small G, as we were talking about before, praising bronze and wood and stone. Uh, so there's a big difference here. Uh, we're not seeking evil spirits or dead spirits like the mediums. Um, but the Holy Spirit of God. And she says that Daniel has illumination. Daniel has light in him. Daniel has understanding and wisdom and knowledge. Um, so taking it down to perhaps the king's level of understanding, uh, wisdom like the gods with a small g. Um, but notice she points out this family relationship. Uh, this is your father. If you remember King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, don't you remember your national history? Maybe you remember that. You should at least remember family history. Um, all the days of your father, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, I wouldn't think it would be hard to forget seven years of scandal where uh, your father was running around naked in the fields and looking uh, crazy and acting crazy and eating grass. Um, but it's amazing that the Lord held his position and returned his sanity to him. And not only that, I think in our political uh, situations that we have here, who would ever want him back in office? How could he ever get back in office? But yet, uh, after seven years, as promised, he returned uh, to sanity and he was put back in power. Uh, but the Dan- Daniel was chief of all these uh, wise men before. And uh, just consider that Daniel had a great resume. You could say, who could have a better resume? Um, He has an excellent spirit. He's knowledgeable. He has understanding that can be found in him, and he can interpret dreams and solve riddles and enigmas, Uh, things that are mysterious or difficult to understand. Uh, He should be first on your list uh, to contact. Uh, Also consider he practically has the same name as you, Belshazzar and Belteshazzar. Um, But the queen says, uh, Daniel's here to help for your interpretation. Daniel has the spirit of the holy God. Um, I don't know this for sure, but perhaps the queen knows who the true God is, since she's, uh, we don't read of any fear in the queen herself. Um, but if indeed the queen is Nebuchadnezzar's wife, uh, she would definitely have vivid memories in their history of those seven years. Uh, but again, I'm not here to speculate. Let's focus on what's being said. Um, Moving on to verse 13. Uh, Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, uh, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Uh, So it makes me wonder how well he has any uh, conversations with Daniel. Probably not at all. Uh, He first points out that you were one of my father's captives. Uh, As a reminder, you know, remember when... Uh, Our country overran you and kidnapped you and brought you over here to make you do service. Uh, That was my father. So makes me consider, well, that's a bit awkward to try and ask somebody for a favor or insight. Um, But Daniel doesn't seem to take offense or or mention anything about this. Um, But are you that Daniel? Perhaps it did trigger something uh, in his memory. But I would think that Daniel would be famous for all the times that he interceded with the wise men. Uh, But moving on to verse 14, it says, I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you and that the light and understanding, excuse me, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. 
So I have heard of you. Um, you're not a surprise to me. Um, but just a few months ago, the queen would have to introduce him and give him a resume, so to speak. Uh, but the king almost word for word from here on quotes what the queen uh, had to say. Um, he remembers reading the letter that Nebuchadnezzar perhaps sent out to the whole world that we read in Daniel uh, chapter 4. Uh, but moving on. Uh, now the wise men, astrologers, have been brought before me, and they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give me the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So again, uh, perhaps if we were to title this, uh, we might say something like, my wise men are not so wise, but yet we still have a prize. I'm sorry, I like a bad pun. <laughs> or at least a rhyme. But they can't read it. They can't interpret the message. Uh, if you can, the king says, he, so he doesn't have the same faith uh, that the queen has in Daniel, uh, but no doubt noted by the queen. Uh, so he says, that Daniel and that thing makes me consider that these were just possessions. People were possessions, and uh, working with gods is a thing to be captured or controlled. But moving on to verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. Uh, so again, some more shocking news. Shocking that anybody would give up such a high level of power, not in the king's family. Uh, we definitely hear of uh, different kings murdering different people in their families, but... Uh, Daniel's not interested in power. Uh, when else would he have the opportunity to be third most powerful in the kingdom? Uh, think how many people in the room would clamor for this. We had a thousand nobles there. Uh, but Daniel doesn't seek power. He doesn't seek riches. He doesn't seek titles. He doesn't seek prestige. Uh, he's not tempted by flashy purple clothes. Um, but Daniel's not interested in worldly things. Uh, no rewards or bribes required, but he'll do the work anyway. Uh, perhaps people in the room would have thought, you fool, take this opportunity. Take, take this opportunity, it'll never come again. Uh, but moving on here, we have um, a, a change of pace here. We have Daniel speaking, and he's about to give a history lesson. Uh, perhaps if you would think to yourself, all you have to do is translate the words that are in front of you. You would focus on the words and then give it an interpretation. But we have uh, the next six verses are going to be a section about history uh, of the kingdom and the kings. So in verse 18 it says, O king, most, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. So everyone is thinking back if they remember the king, uh, his splendor, and this king that's before them. But now we have a panicked king. Um, <clears throat> so we don't have I notice we don't have the standard greeting that we usually get like the queen had uh, the queen said O king live forever uh, but that's not going to pertain for what's coming next to be sure um, but he mentions the most high God gave King Nebuchadnezzar his position and the world's greatest power and majesty and he describes that uh, in the previous chapter is calling him the head of gold uh, for all the nations 
but he gave him a kingdom. He gave him honor. Uh, he gave him glory. Uh, and we know that it's God who places people in power. Verse 19 goes on to say, And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he exalted. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. Uh, So again, God gave him all this power. Um, To all nations, all language, they all feared King Nebuchadnezzar, and they all trembled. Um, So... As he's saying this before uh, the king, I wonder if his knees are still shaking at this point. Uh, But Nebuchadnezzar's power was unquestioned. Um, No one ever challenged Nebuchadnezzar. So if he wanted your land or country, he would invade. Uh, If he wanted to kill all the educated people in the middle of the night for not knowing his thoughts and dreams, he could do it, and people responded. Uh, If the king wanted to build a gold statue that was 90 feet tall and so many tons... Uh, that would probably be billions and billions of dollars to create. He could do that, and no one would say no. Uh, no one would ever question that expense. I don't know if, uh, Mike, you've ever seen a billion-dollar expense for a giant gold statue, uh, but I'm sure he would flag that rather quickly. But no one could question or check him. He had full power. Um, so different times we hear different things he did, like he burned down people's houses and tore people limb from limb. So uh, you get the idea of tearing down different nations that were set uh, before him. But first and foremost, we are to remember that God gave him the power. So moving on to verse 20, uh, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. They took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like beasts. And his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys, and they fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints it over whomever he chooses. Uh, But Nebuchadnezzar definitely had a problem. Uh, We definitely get a summary in chapter 3. Through his pride, he thought it was by his own power and his own talent and his own might uh, that got him where he was. Um, But we hear his heart was lifted up. His spirit was hardened with pride. Uh, But God took his power and glory and tossed it away for a time. He made him like a wild beast, uh, eating grass, going around naked as a beast, and he was wet uh, with dew. Uh, Definitely not a comfortable place, uh, to be sure. Um, but it says, until he knew the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. Uh, he understood this uh, full well. So again, this is family history. This is political history. These are things that you should know. Um, but verse 22 goes on to say, But you, this son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. Uh, as a son, he knew this. Uh, history, he knew this. But yet he didn't humble himself. Uh, but the Bible says he knew this. He knew the story, but it didn't change him uh, at all. Uh, moving on to verse 23. And you've lifted up, excuse me, you've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you And your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, 
And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns your ways, you have not glorified. So he says you have raised yourself up against uh, the true God, uh, <coughs> against the Lord of heaven, it says. Excuse me. Uh, but the evidence of your sacrilege is all around, looking across the room. How many holy vessels would be in the room? Um, you've taken what's holy and defiled it. You've misused it, and you've raised yourself up against the Lord. Uh, not only you, but also your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have took place uh, part of this as well. So this party uh, has seen a great sin take place. Uh, so the question is, could any of your gods interpret? Did he ever call out to the gods? We don't see that. Uh, can any of your gods even see anything at all? No. Uh, can any of your gods interpret these words? Uh, why don't you call on them? But we don't see that. Uh, they don't see. They don't hear. They don't know anything. And yet, uh, the true God of heaven holds your very breath in his hands. Uh, it's interesting that we can curse God uh, with one breath and praise him uh, at another time. Um, <clears throat> uh, but consider that God owns all your ways. He mentioned before uh, conquering Judah, conquering Israel, uh, and bringing people uh, into his land. Uh, but God owns the king's ways. He knows, he sees, and he hears. Um, makes me consider to anyone listening, um, it should definitely make you glad that God hears and sees everything that's going on in your life. Either that or it should definitely terrify you that God sees and hears and knows everything that's going on in our life uh, if you're sinning against him. Uh, but moving on to verse 24 here, it says, Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this is the writing that was written. And this is the inscription that was written, Mini, Mini, Tico, Upharsen. So we see that the fingers of the hand were sent from God. This is a message from God. It's revealed. And here's the message. Uh, Perhaps in English we would say, Numbered, numbered, weighed, and divisions. Um, uh, So if somebody translated it, if they even had the power to read these words, uh, perhaps it would be strange to them. Um, uh, I was reading in the footnotes of my Bible here, uh, these words were very close or very similar sounding to types of currency. So a mini would be like a mina, which is worth 50 shekels. Uh, a tiko would be close to the word shekel. And euphorism would be like the word for a half shekel. Uh, I don't know if somebody were uh, to write on a wall dollar, dollar, quarter, nickel on the walls of Congress. If they could read that, would that have any value or meaning to them? Uh, But makes me think of uh, uh, currency that's weighed, uh, that has value based on weight, like an English pound, I guess, at some point in time was. Um, uh, But there wouldn't have been any meaning or thoughts to these words, so he continues with the interpretation. Verse 26, he says... This is the interpretation of each word, meaning God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tikal, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Uh, Pez, your kingdom has been divided 
and given to the Medes and Persians. Um, so it's time for Daniel to make this meaning crystal clear. Uh, so the kingdom's days are numbered. Uh, it's coming to an end. It's finished. It's about to run out. Uh, God has weighed your actions and deeds, and you've been found wanting, meaning you've come up short, I guess we could say. Uh, God expects more from you. Uh, your kingdom has been divided. Uh, even now, uh, the Medes and Persians were at their doorstep, so to speak. It was currently being attacked at that very moment, and they were ignorant of this fact. Uh, but moving on to our last uh, verses here, 29 through the end. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be third, the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Uh, so we do see uh, what I guess the world would count as a good thing. Uh, we see the king has kept his promise. Perhaps the world would look at him as well and see he's a religious person and he keeps his promises. Um, <clears throat> and Daniel received his purple outfit, the gold chain around his neck, and he was made third in the kingdom. Uh, but God's prophecy came true that very night. Uh, there was another kingdom to rule in place of Babylon, and we see that progression in Daniel chapter 2. God prophesied through Isaiah about this event, and King Belshazzar was killed that very night. So what exactly happened, uh, historically speaking, in in verse 30? Uh, Different commentaries and different accounts um, that I read. Um, Cyrus had uh, engineered a plan for Babylon's fall. Apparently, he split his army in half. Part went to the north of the city and part went to the south uh, all along the river. And they were under orders to march in the city once the river became crossable. So he had his army build a canal to the north of the city. And when he gave the command, the river Euphrates was diverted through the canal into a nearby lake. And the river subsided so that the army uh, was able to come into the city, walking on the riverbed uh, into the city. Uh, So Babylon was too busy partying. They weren't expecting the army to ever come in. Um, And the river was left unguarded, so to speak. Um, I've heard different accounts. I don't know which is true. Uh, But perhaps soldiers were given over to drinking that night or somebody left the gates unlocked. Uh, But at least every account that I read, they came in through the riverbed on both sides. Um, But amazing, there wasn't even uh, hardly a battle. Hardly anybody lost their life fighting. <clears throat> but we see this prophecy uh, in Isaiah 45. I'll read Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 3 from the Amplified, uh, talking about who would do this. The prophecy came hundreds of years, uh, excuse me, more than 100 years before. So verse uh, 45 says, Thus says the Lord and his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, and I will unarm and ungird the loins of the king to open the doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. And I will go before you at the level of the mountains to make the crooked places straight. And I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut asunder the bars of iron. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of the secret place that you may know that it is I, the Lord God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Um, 
So we see in Isaiah, uh, more than 100 years before, we read about the loins of the kings would be loosened. That was Belshazzar, to be sure. And he has opened two levied gates. So we see the cities unguarded when you come through the river. Um, And even before Cyrus was even born, God called him by name. Uh, But again, we have the prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 of the great image that an inferior kingdom would come after. Uh, So tonight we'd see the start of that second kingdom. Uh, But looking over the different characters of the story and just seeing how they responded to this message uh, that was here. Uh, We have the king uh, who sought the whole world for wisdom and came up short. Uh, Nowhere in any of the educated peoples could find the answers and the wisdom that he needed. Um, He would not take to heart the messages that he heard from God before, um, but yet uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his father, uh, knew But ultimately what happened is that the city was unguarded. They were in their pride, uh, having a party, not considering that anybody would invade, even though surely you can't hide two armies uh, very easily. Uh, But they thought they were in their impenetrable fortress. Uh, We never hear that the king ever repented even after this message. So Daniel gave this message. It would be a good opportunity, perhaps, he had some time to repent of his sins against God and make things right. But we never hear that. He died in his sin, in pride and idolatry. Um, But as far as the people are concerned, they heard the testimony at least at one point from King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4. It was sent out to every nation, uh, we read. Uh, It was told how God was sovereign over all mankind. They had an object lesson before him, if they remember the king, uh, out in the field uh, for seven years, but yet he returned them uh, to sanity and rule. Uh, we also see Daniel here that his life was completely focused on seeking God first, uh, regardless uh, regardless of the cost, uh, and yet he was bold and fearless. I can't imagine standing up before a room of a thousand people and somebody asking you to translate and you give a history and you accuse Uh, and show that the king is guilty of sins, uh, the boldness of Daniel. Uh, But many would come to faith uh, in God through, uh, I would hope and pray, through the king's conversion message that we read in chapter 4. God in all this gave the king multiple warnings and messages, uh, but ultimately judgment uh, will come. So again, we see sin of pride, idolatry, self-righteousness, and not honoring God's uh, things that should be kept holy, but uh, profaning them. Um, But we consider those who responded to the message. Daniel was bold. He was quick to take action and save souls, we read in chapter 2. The king had opportunity to repent multiple times, uh, but ignored the messages from God and didn't humble himself. And so as a result, he was humbled, uh, just like his father in the past. Uh, But ignoring God's word doesn't change the outcome. You can ignore it, um, but eventually uh, God will judge. Uh, So just in closing, uh, I don't know if there's anybody here who doesn't know the Lord personally, uh, but a good encouragement that we have in Romans 10, verses 8 and 10, the word is near you, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth 
confession is made unto salvation. Also as well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So I hope there's no one here who only knows about the Lord Jesus but doesn't know him personally. Um, I pray if there's anyone here that you today would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this message that you've given us in your word. Uh, We pray that we'd be found faithful to you. You've given us a good news message, and we pray that we would get it out to the world. Lord, I pray that you'd make us bold to proclaim the good news. Pray that you would make us bold uh, to speak to sin where sin is before us. Uh, But Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to appreciate um, the holy things that you've put in our lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for us. Uh, We did not deserve it. Uh, We only deserve the punishment for our sins. But thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness towards us. Uh, But Lord, we just want to take a moment and thank you for the things that are prepared downstairs. Thank you for your blessing and bountiful uh, kindness to us. And we pray that you would help us to remember uh, the important things from your word. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.